I was struck this week. Um, we talk about fearing God. Um, I was asking myself the question, do I fear the word of God? Do you ever think about fearing the Bible with reverence and awe? Uh, so often we come to the Bible, it's, it's quite common to have multiple Bibles in our homes and, and, uh, and it's so easy to do, but when, when people sometimes have the Bible on the ground, um, Ben and I have talked about it, just whether that's okay to do and we sort of thought, no, it's not. It's not okay to do. That's not trying to be judgmental of anyone who's done that recently. I can't think of it, whether you have. But I felt like a good way to come to the Word of God is... Um, has anyone been to Yosemite National Park? A couple of you. I haven't, but I've, I've seen El Capitan, that enormous granite rock. And I've thought, imagine coming to that one kilometre high rock. I imagine, because I've been at other places with enormously uh, glorious parts of creation, to come and stand towards the base of El Capitan. One might imagine one's jaw might drop. Is that fair to say? Or the Grand Canyon is just like, oh, wow. This is an inanimate object. This is a rock, a granite rock. And as a human being, I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of this rock. Yet we have the Word of God before us. And from now on, I'm going to come to the Word of God like El Capitan. <laughs> wow, God, help me. This is... This is a love letter, it is, but it's also the greatest source, the most awesome in the true use of the word awesome. Amen? Awesome collection of truth. It's absolutely true. It's light in a dark world. So Lord God, we come with the greatest of reverence to your word, the words of the living God. And we pray that we might be challenged today and led on into the truth and into life as we hear your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Can I ask you for some choices? Hands up what you would choose, uh, an apple or an orange? Those for an apple? Okay, we have the apples. I think that'll be hard to beat. Any oranges amongst us? Okay. What about in the morning, porridge or cereal? Put your hand up for porridge. <clears throat> if it's winter or not, yeah. What about cereal? Okay, uh, what else do I have? Winter or summer? Which would you choose? Winter? Oh, look at that. Interesting. Quite a few wintry people here. Summer? The majority in Australia. Morning or night? Who are the night owls? Who are the morning early bird people? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I meant to say neither. I meant to say neither and I forgot. Um, so early morning people. Okay. Night owls. Have you ever considered how many choices we make in a day? I read something that said we make 35,000 choices and I thought, oh, that'll be great for my sermon. And then I read up quickly, um, that's been debunked. No one has any good research for that. <laughs> So it did make me think, I reckon it would run into the thousands. I'm not sure how many, but we make choices all the time, every day, thousands of them. When am I going to go to bed? That will affect 
over time when I rise? What am I going to sleep on tonight? Am I going to brush my teeth? Alfred's like, that's not a question, Jonathan. (laughs) How am I going to brush my teeth? All these questions. And um, I was struck this week that some people don't get to make those choices. They might be homeless. They may not have access to some of the, uh, the things that we make choices about. No matter how powerless you feel, we all make choices about how we will respond to what happens to us in life, don't we? Choice. Life is quite literally a bunch of choices, isn't it? A constant Choices, big and small. Some choices we make will have enormous long-term consequences on our lives. As we come to the last Sunday in our series in Deuteronomy, we find Moses giving the people of Israel yet another choice. He says in chapter 30, Choose life through obedience or choose death through disobedience. What strikes me is it's remarkably binary, isn't it? Life or death. I feel like uh, we need to say, excuse me, Moses, don't you realise life is more nuanced than that? You can't just grab a verse from here. In fact, you can't even take truth out of this old, dusty book. It needs to be put in context. Life is more complex, right? And it is complex, yet... Moses calls the people to make a very clear choice. God's way or the wrong way. I think it's actually a very significant issue to consider the choice to obey God or disobey him presented as binary. Simple. Yes or no, A or B decision. A or B. With thousands of decisions per day, obviously life is Complex. Yet the essence of biblical revelation regarding humans interacting with God shows a beautiful simplicity and uncommon clarity at the core of a faith response. Would you agree? Just think about some of the, like, if you don't agree with that, let me try to make an argument um, that the Bible is wise and nuanced. It is. Yet there is this calling to. The Spirit will testify to our spirit, to our conscience, and we'll know that's not right, that is right. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They're told there's one tree not to eat. You need of all the other trees. Binary, good, bad, yes, no, trust, doubt, obey, disobey. This is the elemental story of creation and creator. Belief versus unbelief. This great book of Deuteronomy we've been studying in chapter 30. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. The next book, Joshua, finishes exactly the same way. Joshua 24. He's now the leader of the people. And he says, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He says, As for me and my household, household, we will serve the Lord, life or death, obedience or disobedience. The wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, it's the same thing. Either choose to follow Lady Wisdom Or choose to follow Lady Folly, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches, 
let your yes be yes. We want to say, it's not as simple as that, Jesus. He says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. I thought it was interesting to go to the end of the Bible, to the very end of the last chapter. And it finishes with Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And then it says, and if you do not come, you choose condemnation. It's so binary. It's so, yes, God's way, no, the wrong way. Last week we talked about uh, blessings and curses. Same thing. The choice of life through your generational line or death and pain. You choose God's way or my way. Uh, John Wesley twisted it around and said, who will you deny? Does anyone remember that? John Wesley used to say, who will you deny, yourself or Christ? So Moses is saying, who will you choose? Which way will you choose? Who will you choose to obey? Moses is nearing the end of his life for the tenth time. Oh, no, I, only, I didn't preach one of the messages. I think I've said every message. Where did he preach this? The base of Mount Nebo. <laughs> on the plains of Moab in the Transjordan, on the eastern side, on the, the Jordan side of the River Jordan. And he is teaching the people about how to live in the promised land. So let's pick up our text from chapter 30 of Deuteronomy and verse 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Now the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Some of us will recall Romans 10, 5, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks into this. Moses is saying these commands that God has given us, they are not so lofty that you can't understand them. He, he basically is saying, this is the God who has chosen us as his people. He is our God. He is our intimate, loving Father. He's the one who carried us on eagle's wings out of Egypt. He's the one who literally opened up the Red Sea so that we could walk through on dry ground. He is the one who met in the tent of meeting and you all saw it, at least your parents saw it. The pillar of fire by night, the pillar of smoke by day. This is a God who is up close and personal, though he is holy and to be revered. He's not far away over the sea, high in the sky. The revelation of God, his instruction is right in front of you, Moses says. His word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. He's saying, just believe. Just believe. It it, it immediately makes me think of um, Thomas in Jesus' presence, God in human flesh. And Jesus is saying, Thomas, what more can I do for you? I'm here, look at me. I've got a hole in my side, my feet, my hands. It's me, God in human flesh. You can hear me talking. Just believe. It's not so hard that you can't believe, Thomas. Believe 
or the alternative is not so good. See verse 15, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Verse 17, but if you turn, your heart turns away and you are not obedient. And if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. I have a really strong sense and hunch that for some of us today, we're here to hear that. We're just here to hear the challenge that you need to believe. Strip back all the mess, clean it out, push away all the clutter, and you'll find God has been asking you for something, an area of obedience. Sometimes we say, oh, I just can't find God, I can't experience him. It's not the way it used to be, and that's very Psalms-like, because the Psalms talk about that. I used to lead the procession into the house of the Lord, and I don't feel it anymore. Do you think it might be fair to say that unbelief is at the core of most pathways we walked down that took us away from the presence of God? At least I want to challenge you with that thought. It's not as complex as you think, or as I think. We can ask God, Lord, what do I need to drop? What do I need to believe? What do I need to hold on to? What do I need to say yes to? What do I need to say no to? I know you're the best coach, Holy Spirit. You are the best coach, amen? You're the best coach that I could ever come. You, you're not so incapable of leading me. Some of us are here today to hear that. We need to repent. We need to say, no, God loves me more than I thought he loved me. No, I'm not going to believe the lie anymore. I'm going to believe the truth. Yes, no, right, wrong. Can I encourage you getting back to a close place with God is not beyond reach. It's as close as your heart. Because Jesus has done everything required for you to get close to him. Amen. Moses says, verse 19, This day I called the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. It's a fairly hefty witness, isn't it? Just the heavens and the earth. That I have set before you. It's like Moses is saying, I've done a lot of teaching. I've spent a lot of time with you guys. Heaven knows I've done my best. That's what he's saying. I set before you a clear choice and heaven and earth and God himself is my witness. Life and death, blessing and cursing. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Choose life that it may, that might go well with you and your children. And we shouldn't miss that part. It will go well with you and your children. That you might live, love, listen and thrive in the land. That's what he promises. Choose God's way. Choose life. And you will live, love, listen and thrive in the land. Choose God's way so that you may live. It's as simple as that. We've probably heard the phrase, this is living, or they're living their best life. 
That's what God offers. It's the essence of what Moses is saying. Choose God and He is life and His way will give you life for you and the generations who will follow. Life, it means process, doesn't it? Like Think about it. Life. Choose a pathway and continue to choose God's way and He will give you process that will produce good things in your life. It, it is Life is a series of periods, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, 12 months of the year. Life is rhythmic. This idea of following God's way is a collection of choices built around rhythms. Amen? Just look at Deuteronomy. The proof is there. Holy rhythms. Each day... They were to say the holy prayer, Deuteronomy 6.4. We began our service with it. Linda read it out, the Shema. The men would notice every day when they went to the toilet that they were circumcised and they belonged to the one true living God. A rhythm. How to live your life for the glory of God and flourish in the land. Deuteronomy 14. I'm just jumping around here, sorry. But if you look back, many of us read it in our Bible reading plan. Deuteronomy taught about tithing. Why would they need to tithe? Because it's life. It's taking what you've been given and having a rhythmic process that you're committed to to give a portion of that back to God for him to do what he wants to do with it. At the end of seven years, they had to cancel debts because they had to live a just life to look after people. It's a rhythm. Chapter 15. There were festivals to attend. Why do you think there were festivals? Just because it was a good idea? No, it was rhythm to, to live the sort of lives that allowed you to be in a, in a, a line, a way, a bunch of habits that helped you make good choices again and again and again. So the festivals played a huge role in reorientating the mind. And if you jump to the New Testament, Galatians 2.20, Paul writes the same thing. He says, the life that I now live in the body, and you sort of have to live your life in a body. When he says live in the body, it's, it's reminding us it's habits, functions, process. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith each day in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the key for Paul. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's just before that. But I think Paul is saying, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. I thought it was a great line that Mel, she was leading last week, uh, Sunday night, and she said, I think it was Egypt's song, and it tells the story of being redeemed. And she said, we need to sing these songs because it's retelling our story. It's retelling the story of the gospel, and it's so true. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Amen. You need to sort of, even if you don't feel like it, muster up the energy to say, you know what? You're a sinner saved by grace because Jesus Christ died in your place. And he rose again from the dead. This is me preaching to myself in the mirror. You're a saint today. You can live out of that identity because of a gospel, a good news that was done for you. All because of the love of God for you. They're the rhythms that we need, asking these questions every day. Honestly, who is God? What has he done? Who am I? And what is my role? It's a great way to just stay on track for this life to be lived for the glory of God. 
which involves rhythms, process. There is a little bit of effort, isn't there, in the Christian life, not to earn but to learn. Not to earn but to learn. Habits, routines which renew the mind and the heart and affect our choices. Moses says, choose life so that you can love. So that you can love. And this is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were told, say this every single day of your life. Teach it to your kids. Do not lose this prayer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The people were commanded to love God. And to do so, Moses taught them to remember how much God loved them. Because it's God who loved first. For them, for us, we have to keep reminding ourselves, God has demonstrated his love for me in Christ Jesus. He demonstrated his love for the people in the great story of the Exodus. Deuteronomy 8 says, don't forget. Forgetting will not go well for you. You'll you'll find it hard to love God with the passion that he deserves If you forget that he carried you on eagle's wings out of Egypt, choose obedience, which is life, so you can love and be loved. The Passover festival, Deuteronomy 16. Why do they remember the Passover festival? I think it's pointing to Jesus and what Jesus will do in the shedding of his blood. But most of all, it's just reminding them God loved you. God loved you enough to give you the symbol of blood shed, unblemished lamb blood shed, which is coming, Jesus, into the future. But that Passover celebration is all about the people knowing I am loved by my God. Amen? Passover. We need love. We need God's love and love of community. We need to love others. Have you noticed that if you don't choose God's way? So God's way is to forgive people. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And God's way is to be thankful. You go, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be thankful. And God's way is humility. You think, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be humble. God's way is to be other person focused with servanthood. You say, no. I'm not going to do that. What do you reckon that does to your heart? Makes you hard. Makes you hard. You're not loving and you can't receive love. We're all broken, but that type of living saying, no, God, none of your processes, none of your rhythms, I'm not going to do any of them. It makes you fearful and defensive and just really hard to receive love. And if you can't receive love, it's hard to love. So... I feel like this idea of loving God is very connected, more than we might think, to obeying. Would you agree? To obeying the the, the commands of how we should live. Choose life to live and to love and to listen. The book of Deuteronomy is about listening, isn't it? It's literally a three-part sermon that we're eavesdropping on. It's just people listening to God's guidance. Deuteronomy 9, he says, avoid idolatry. Deuteronomy 10, obey the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 17 to 20, the king of Israel needs to listen or else. Choose life and listen. Have you noticed that you have to choose to listen, don't you? Especially in today's society. I mean, you can have busy stuff coming at you all day long, 
Never stopping. Just noise. And in the old days, it might be you live alone and your TV's always on. And, uh, and it's company, isn't it? And it, you can enjoy it. But um, maybe for you, what, what, do, do you ever turn it off? And, and uh, you probably like some of us who enjoy the noise, we go, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. What do you do in silence? Well, it's a choice to listen to God's voice, to learn how to hear. And over the last 2,000 years, the saints uh, who follow Jesus have experimented with lots of things. And these are some of the ways they've found helpful over 2,000 years to hear God's voice. Silence is a good thing. Solitude. Because if you're hanging out with people all the time, they might not stop talking. Solitude, listening to nature, study, fasting, worship, prayer, scripture memorization. There tends to be effort involved in learning how to listen well, but it's certainly what the people of Israel were told to do, and that's what we need. It's one of the reasons that we created Bible Loop, the Bible reading program, just to help people listen. And we have these four words read, listen, learn, repeat. Process. Read, listen, learn, repeat. Learn how to hear God's voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. You've got to learn. They did. We do. We need to find this out. Isn't it incredible when you just think about the incarnation that um, God, who is spirit, became flesh and blood? And part of the reason was that he could get a set of lungs that were his own and a voice box and, and, a, and a head and a brain and a tongue so that he could make sound that could be recorded. Isn't that glorious? That's John 1. The word was God and he became one of us. God has become human so we can hear him. We can hear what he taught. It's awesome. Choose life, listen to God and thrive in the land. That's the last part. The people were blessed to be a blessing, Genesis 12. And they were to grow to millions, and they did. And those millions of people, the descendants, they had somewhere to live. They needed it, and so God promised them land. And um, the blessed inheritance of the land was contingent upon their wise choices. Choose life. And, you know, you think, well, that doesn't relate to us in the 21st century. I mean, it's the people of Israel and the land, the promised land. I don't know. Acts 17 is a really interesting portion of Scripture. It says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. you remember that verse? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I think there's this sense that God has sovereignly put cultures in places. And cultures are meant to put roots down in the land. No, no, it's not the only way. I mean, people are nomadic. I know um, the, the Maasai tribesmen are nomadic, but they're still in the, that part of Kenya and Tanzania. And, um, what do you think about land and roots? Do you think it's a good thing? I think it is. I think there's something biblical about it, about staying in a place long enough that you're not doing the Jack Kerouac thing of, oh, if only I could be on the open road, so I'm not accountable to anyone. But I'm, I'm going to put my roots down somewhere. And allow those roots to help me be part of the community around. And I'm going to take God's love and his teachings and I'm going to share it. And in this land with the roots here 
that God has appointed for me to be part of, I'm going to try to see a society grow that's godly. Amen? That's right. It's an interesting thought to go, God, do you care where I live? And I want to encourage you to consider that question. I think it's seasonal sometimes. God might lead us on to another place, but where, what part of the land does God want you to put your roots down in? Or maybe you're, you're on the move. As Christians, we know whenever it talks about the promised land, what does that mean for us overall? It means heaven and the new earth. That's the promised land. We're, we're looking forward to the land. Live, love and listen in the land of promise is a summary of Moses' wrap-up. And then the book of the law drops a bit of a clangor. It's about four verses. I'll read out. God says to Moses, God says to Moses after all his three sermons, the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting, where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a, in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. For they will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day I will become angry and I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them and in that day they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. It's cast a gloom over the morning, hasn't it? And I think all we can say is, whoa, sin is sad, isn't it? Sin is sad. After all the teaching, after the 40 years that this generation has seen God's faithfulness. And the years before that and the 400 years of slavery to Egypt, of course, it's, as I mentioned last week, it's the story of First and Second Kings. And the New Testament says a dog returns to its vomit. As a dog returns, so the people return to sin. But it's more than just bad choices, isn't it? Those of us who know a bit of theology. Because if you flick your Bible over to Romans 7... Romans 7 says, Paul writes, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. In essence, chapter 7 of Romans says, we're doomed to failure. The commandments, the law, is like a light that just shines on us and no matter how good we try, it points out our failure. It's an electric chair. It kills everyone who comes against it. No one beats the law. Sad, isn't it? And then that's why Romans 7 ends in verse 24 with... The powerful and haunting line, What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 
And that's humanity. That's the book of Romans. We go, I'm trying my best, God, but it's not enough. It's not enough. And then in a, a moment of honesty, we say, and you're right, God. It's not because you're a hard taskmaster. I have failed. Who on earth will rescue me? Because I need rescuing. Who will rescue me from this body of death, this, this life that has condemned across it? What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? If it's true for you, would you read out the answer? Just out loud, somebody? Hallelujah. Do you know that's the truth? That's what Paul says. Who could rescue this wretched, condemned person? And the eyes look up. Thanks be to God who has rescued me in Christ Jesus. And that's where we get uh, Romans 8.1, this glorious verse that we need to know. <clears throat> Therefore now there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation. God has made a way. Is that your testimony? Have you knelt at the foot of the cross and said, Lord, I got nothing, but I know you died for me. Here's my life. I'm saying thankful. I'm saying I'm thank, thank you. I am thankful. And please forgive me. And the Bible says he is faithful and just and he will, conf- he will forgive us as we, we confess our sins. Praise God. There is a way for us to be made right with God because of the gospel, because of what Christ has accomplished in dying on the cross in our place and in rising from the grave. When we make the choice to put our faith in Christ, we are changed. Hallelujah. It's the truth. Our stony heart is taken away and we're given a heart of flesh and that heart of flesh still makes wrong decisions. But it's the promise, the guarantee, we're sealed in the Spirit and God is saying, you are mine. You are mine. Whether you fail or not, just keep coming back and remembering the cross is enough for you. Hallelujah. The people of Israel were always in a relationship of grace, weren't they? That's the only way. And that's why there was a system of sacrifice in the Old Testament to remind them it's about grace, guys. Someone's got to die for your failures. And that, those animal sacrifices were all pointing to the glorious death of the Lord Jesus. Christ's blood shed on the cross goes backwards in time, hallelujah, and forwards in time, covers sin. But the mystery of the gospel is God's love and grace draws us, but we have to respond with repentance and belief. We, we, we make a choice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that 2,000 years ago, God in human flesh said, not my will, but yours be done. That was the choice. Father, I don't know if I can go through with this cross. I don't know if I can be separated from you. But not my will. Can you see it? It's one choice. It's yes and no. 
at the core of the universe is God saying yes to us and yes to the sacrifice. Would you like to stand? The band are going to come and lead us in a couple of last songs to finish off our 10 weeks in Deuteronomy and our time in the Lord's presence and in his word today. Can I encourage you? You can, by God's grace, choose life instead of bitterness. Amen? This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. You can choose life instead of stinginess. You can choose life God's way instead of sexual immorality. It's possible. You can choose life instead of worldliness. Life instead of greed. Life instead of being unequally yoked. Life instead of drugs, self-medication. Life instead of workaholism. Life instead of mediocrity. Life instead of hopelessness. You can choose life God's way instead of hypocrisy. You can choose life instead of fear. You can choose blessings for yourself and your family and your church and your community. Life starts and continues and ends with choice fueled by grace. As for us, may we serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Amen.